Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and today we're continuing and finalizing our division series with the AFC North. We're talking Ravens, Browns, Bengals, Steelers, and by we, I mean myself and Mr. Andrew Erickson, who you have found on every other one of these previews and on the PFF Football Podcast throughout the entire offseason. Andrew, what is going on, man? It is August 11th, and we have your Patriots in action tomorrow. You pumped? Yes, I'm really excited. Mac Jones, let's go, baby. I want to win some money in preseason DFS. Bring me to the promised land. Is he wearing 50 in the preseason still? No, so he actually gets to wear. I'm assuming he's going to wear number 10. That's the number he wore at Alabama, and no one's wearing it. So, yes, the all of the rookies for the Patriots that have been wearing like 50, 57, they all get no, regular numbers for their first game because Belichick is like, yep, you, you get the numbers as you play in your first game. It's actually weird, though, because I think you could technically make them wear those numbers because of the new rules where you can kind of wear like whatever number you want, but Belichick's being nice to his rookies. I uh, tried to be cute on Twitter saying like, how can Mac Jones have any level of confidence having to look himself in the mirror and see number 50 on his chest before going out to practice? Someone pointed out to me, Hey Ian, he actually doesn't see 50 in the mirror. So it's a mirror. So he actually sees zero two. Boy, did I feel like an idiot, but that's a story, a problem for another day. Like I said, people, AFC North preview here coming up as always, we're looking at the defining question for each team, most underutilized player, favorite fantasy value, wild card scenario, get out of here with some over under. So Andrew, let's kick it off. Your defining question for the 2021 Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, will you throw the ball more in 2021? My over under on your passing yards prop is riding on this decision, this question, the answer to this question. And I think that they're going to throw more. You look at the moves that they made this offseason, drafting Rashad Bateman in the first round, drafting Talon Wallace in the fourth round. They're an analytic, analytically, an analytically driven team that realizes that throwing the ball is usually more efficient than running the football. And again, they've been a really efficient rushing team, but at the same time, they also know to take that next step. They need to evolve this passing attack. And they did that by adding in more weapons, bringing in Sammy Watkins. So for me, I think it makes a lot of sense that they would throw the ball more. You actually look at all the teams last season that drafted a wide receiver in round one, all of them threw the ball more in the next seat or that following season, except for the Philadelphia Eagles who were already throwing at one of the highest rates in the NFL. Obviously Jalen hurts came in and they didn't throw as much. So I expect that the moves that they've made is kind of indicating that they're going to throw the ball more. Again, we have a couple injuries we're going to probably talk about that could potentially hinder that from happening. But I think that's their goal is to throw the ball more. And I think that's going to help Lamar Jackson potentially with his fantasy value, maybe make him a little bit more consistent week to week. I don't think the rushing is going to go away anytime soon because that's part of how he is so effective. But I do think that you can't necessarily look at this Ravens passing attack, like a Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, and think, oh, well, they're nuked. Like, it's a terrible landing spot. So I do think they're going to see some more passing. But I mean, it's not going to be, like, average, but it's going to be significantly more than what we've seen in the past. Here's my only issue with taking a leap of faith on Bateman. Maybe he is as good as a lot of, you know, smart draft analysts think he is. And, you know, we saw with AJ Brown and, you know, just even Miko Hardman, who's not in the same tier, but electric rookies can overcome, you know, lack of targets if they have this insane efficiency. I'm just not convinced right now. Bateman's that guy, particularly if he's going to have this absence now with the groin injury with which John Harbaugh said, it's going to be weeks, hopefully not months. They're still hopeful that he could suit up for week one one so 
Bateman, Watkins, you know, even Tylen Wallace, I don't deny that they can help Lamar Jackson. The problem is, how can we have any level of confidence that any one of these guys are going to be, you know, having a high enough target share themselves to be a fantasy relevant factor? Because Andrew, like, I'm, I'm fine getting on these guys in DFS or something for the right price. But right now in redraft, I'm not sure if I've drafted a single Ravens receiver all freaking offseason because I want Lamar Jackson. I get that. We have a thousand yard rush that plays quarterback and it would make sense if he does pass the ball a little bit more but even if he does with Watkins, Wallace, Bateman, Andrews we're getting reports about J.K. Dobbins getting a couple more targets here like how can we have confidence that Bateman or Watkins or any of these guys are going to stand out above the rest right there there isn't a lot of confidence that goes into it and that's kind of why they are so cheap across the board I mean the Marquise Brown is barely even like a top 50 ranked wide receiver and you think about his targets here on the offensive he was the leading target receiver last year for them. I think it really brings down the point that yes, the receivers can't necessarily be relied on week to week again, except Sammy Watkins in week one, because he's going to blow up because that's what Sammy Watkins does. But it hammers down the point that Mark Andrews is a top five tight end, like locked and loaded. Like, I don't think, I know a lot of people have been concerned about, okay, well they add a bunch of the more receivers. Like where's Andrews target share going to go. It's like, it's not going anywhere. Like I, I didn't feel like, concerned about him being the target leader in this offense. He was the target leader in games played last season for the, he's been the target leader the past two seasons because he is the vocal point of the offense through the passing attack over the middle of the field, because that's where Lamar Jackson throws the ball. If you look at Lamar Jackson's heat map in PFFs QB annual, it's no outside throws. Like it is all over the middle of the field. And that's where Mark Andrews makes his hay. So again, I have Mark Andrews ranked over Kyle Pitts for this exact reason. You see tight ends that lead their teams in targets. We talked about it with Hawkinson on the earlier podcast. Tight ends that lead their team in targets almost always return top five value every single time. It was like an 86% hit rate. So draft edges with confidence, especially even now with all these receivers banged up. 86% of the time works every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's a path to success. And to your point, I always preach this too. We want to draft guys closer to their floor than their ceiling. It's unfortunate that Bateman is already dealing with this injury. I would just say, you know, chill out a little bit, people. I see some people going, oh, you know, look at Josh Allen, the leap he made when they brought in Stefan Diggs. Maybe Bateman is Diggs level good. I am not crowning him with that, nor would I crown pretty much anyone other than five or six receivers with that level of talent in the league. So just chill out on it. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Just don't crown him right now. Don't crown your ass. Come on. Most <laughs> underutilized player, Andrew, why is it J.K. Dobbins? Because he's attached to Lamar Jackson, who doesn't throw the ball to running backs. Basically, Lamar Jackson was the poster boy of my running or mobile quarterback's influence on the running back position when I first started with PFF. It was actually the first article I ever did for Pro Football Focus. Ooh. So I like to kind of, it's kind of like my baby in these situations. So whenever time anyone asks me about, oh, is running back going to lose out? I'm like, okay, this, here we go. Like, this is my time to shine. But that's the biggest thing is he doesn't catch passes and he's not going to catch passes as long as Lamar Jackson under center. They can talk about getting him more involved and this and that, but it just doesn't pan out because of the way that the quarterback position is designed. And that just really hurts Dobbins in the PPR format. You know, you look at his strong finish down the season last year, weeks 11 through 17, he was the RB11 in full point PPR. You know who outscored him? JD McKissick. Because McKissick caught 37 passes and Dobbins caught three. Like it's it's such a big difference maker when you're rewarded for a full point for a reception because Mc, Dobbins has to average six yards per carry to just keep up with some of these guys that are just catching dump off passes from the quarterback, which unfortunately he doesn't benefit from. So if and again, it's not a talent 
problem. Like we know Dobbins can catch passes from what he did at the college level, but it kind of goes back to, it doesn't matter. It's how they're using the offense. And it's kind of like the opposite of the AJ Dillon effect where AJ Dillon didn't catch passes at college at all and really hasn't done it ever in his career. But because Aaron Rodgers throws to his running backs, AJ Dillon will probably catch more passes than JK Dobbins this year. And it's not necessarily looking at the talent. It's looking at how they're using the offense. So it's just unfortunate for Dobbins because I can't get behind him. You know, he's RB 16. I think he's, he's better at obviously in half point PPR, but I have an RB 18. And I just really haven't found myself drafting a lot of them because his ceiling is just capped without any work in the passing game. I too have crunched some numbers on the mobile quarterbacks, just impact on their running backs throughout this off season study and just takeaways. I found since 2010, we've had 37 examples of quarterbacks averaging five carries per game, which comes out to 80 per season out of that group, 59% enabled a top 24 fantasy running back. That's fine. A little bit lower than our expected hit rate, which would be 75%, but we have Dobbins as the RB too. It's just that ceiling because only 10 out of those 37 running backs have finished in the top 12. Yes. 2019 Mark Ingram was one of them. Also. Yes. You know, we can't expect Dobbins to catch five freaking touchdown passes like Ingram was going to. He he's incredible. He joins Jamal Charles, Alvin Kamara, Adrian Peterson, CJ Spiller, only guys to average at least six yards per carry on hundred carries since 2010. But people, Gus Edwards is not going anywhere. He just signed a three-year, $12 million deal, $8 million guaranteed. And Gus is good, too. He had a better PFF rushing grade than Dobbins, higher percentage of carries for a first down or a touchdown, more than doubled yards per outrun. I'm not saying he's a better running back, but he is good. And that's the thing. You know, we were talking on our NFC North uh, preview about Jamal Williams and how, like, people just don't really give him the respect he deserves because we wanted Aaron Jones to get more usage. I think that's what we're starting to see with Dobbins and Gus Edwards. And does that make Gus our favorite fantasy value, Andrew? I hope he's a fantasy value this year because he is the staple of my zero RB super flex team. He is my second running back that I drafted. So I'm really hoping the Gus bus takes off in 2021, but he should. Again, you hit off the numbers. 90.1 PFF grade from week 11 arms higher than JK Dobbins was 76.3, 5.4 yards per carry. 3.6 yards per contact or yards after contact per attempt. He had a better missed tackles force per attempt than JK Dobbins because he's legit good. And they paid him because they know he's good. And they're not going to just stop giving him the ball because the guy's averaging over five yards per carry. So why would you take the ball out of his hands? It's one of these things where, okay, if a team's giving Peyton Barber the ball, okay, yes, we're going to get super frustrated because Peyton Barber's averaging two yards per carry. What are you doing? But Gus Edwards is helping this offense be better so he's going to get stay involved and i think that he's a great target to to look at in the later rounds because he's going to see 11 12 touches per game in a run heavy approach that we expect ravens offense to most likely continue to be and i mean i would rather pay that price than jk dobbins which is like a round three pick where i can get gus edwards in round 10 and you know depending on who scores it, like that's going to be the difference between a edwards or a dobbins week and like Gus doesn't have the Tony Pollard upside. If Dobbins gets hurt, I think we would see a lot of Justice Hill on pass downs. But it'd be like Madison-esque at least. I mean, maybe maybe not even that high because we got Lamar Jackson doing it. We'd at least be looking at like 15 to 20 carries per game as the featured early down back in the league's most run heavy offense. I'll take that as my, you know, RB, as you're saying, either a zero RB target or as you know, your fourth or fifth RB you're drafting last year, Mark Ingram was effectively taken out of the lineup in week eight. He still played a little bit here or there, but that was kind of when they just said, okay, we're moving forward with Dobbins and Gus excluding the one game Dobbins missed the rest of the way. Dobbins had 128 carries. Gus had 105. 
Lamar Jackson had 134, which tells you, you know, kind of all you need to know about who the real um, RB1 is here. No disrespect to Lamar's throwing ability. I'm just saying he runs the ball a lot. That's a fact. And even the targets, man, Dobbins 16, Gus 10. Dobbins is better than Gus. We're not trying to disagree there, but Gus is also better than you and the public probably thinks as well. Andrew, what's our wild card scenario? Does it relate to Sammy Watkins? Of course, it relates to Sammy Watkins because everyone's expecting now that his ADP is going to skyrocket to the moon, despite the fact that we're all kind of been fooled by Sammy Watkins once, twice, thrice, way too many times that we can count. So I actually don't think Watkins ADP is really going to move that much. I think people are going to kind of just write him off as the guy that really hasn't ever lived up to the expectations of his draft stock. But you look at the situation, he's back with Greg Roman, who he had his best season with in Buffalo finished that year with over a thousand receiving yards. The only time he's in his career yards per route run, 2.68 top five PFF receiving grade. Yeah. So it was impressive what Sam Watkins was able to do in this offense beforehand. And look, man, the week one splits do not lie. Like he's averaged over 30 fantasy points per game in his last two week one games. Unfortunately, I checked the DFS slate and the Ravens are not on the main slate. So it's going to be Sammy Watkins captain season against the Las Vegas Raiders, which means it's a great matchup. Like, like Sammy Watkins against the Raiders week one, if he's the starting number one wide receiver, are people like not going to play him? Like, I mean, it's a good matchup. And if he's the number one guy, you're probably going to have to play him. So again, if people just continue to kind of write him off, that's fine. And he's still going super late. I think he's worth a dart throw. I mean, he's been the most impressive receiver at training camp, according to all the reports that we've read on him. And I mean, the speed profile is like still there, like somewhere in that body is a talented wide receiver. It's just, he's kind of been missing for what, four years. <laughs> it is uh funny. This is now back-to-back years that they have not given us week one, Sammy Watkins on the main slate. <laughs> I'm pissed and you should be too. But yeah, every bit of positive news, like, could you imagine, like if we just took away the Sammy Watkins name and everything we know about the guy and we just said, Hey, former, Number four overall pick. He's been good, not great throughout his entire career. ESPN's Jameson Hensley reports he's been Baltimore's best wide receiver at training camp. Their offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, who Watkins used to play with, said he's one of the best receivers in the NFL, period. Now, this is one of the things we talk about. Do we think Sammy Watkins is one of the best NFL wide receivers? Of course not. It really doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the guy who's scheming up plays for the offense thinks, and apparently he does believe that. Here we are, Andrew. It took until August 11th, but we are now talking ourselves in to Sammy Watkins. Just turned 28 in June. If the ADP doesn't rise, we're going to have to start getting some shares as sickening as that is to swallow. But, you know, it's not any worse than getting A.J. Green where he's going at that point. So... I'm, I'm taking Sam Watkins over AJ Green. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm, I'm just not. I had to put, I begrudgingly put AJ Green in my top 100 wide receivers because I'm like, all right, I have to put him in somewhere. And I'm just like, I just don't want to draft him. And again, back to the Sam Watkins point, like, you know, Al- Aguilar, I think is a good example of a player that, you know, we kind of had written off pretty much just because of his career. And it's like, he flourished. Like, who's to say Sammy Watkins can't be 2021's version of Nelson Aguilar? Sammy Watkins talking, he could beat out. Nelson Aguilar, AJ Green. We're really going on a limb here on the PFF <laughs> Fantasy Football Podcast. All right, Andrew, over under 11 wins right now. We got a minus 120 lean on the under. I'm going to hit the over. I think that Lamar has just shown that he can win games. Like, even though he's had, you know, his quote unquote issues as a passer, I don't really, I think they're all overblown, but the guy wins games and John Harbaugh wins games. The combination of those two guys finds ways to win. 
they've won 11 games the past two seasons. They've hit the over despite all the stuff they had to deal with last year, they hit the over. So with that extra game, I'm going to go with the Ravens over. Kind of funny to me how, you know, Quentin Nelson gets a foot injury and people are legit freaking out. Meanwhile, the Ravens are getting Ronnie Stanley back and it's just kind of like, oh, you know, whatever. Lamar still can't throw. That's the nationwide <laughs> perception. Uh, ultimately, a quarterback's job is to score points. Nobody has scored more regular season points than the Ravens over the past two years. I am also going to take the over here. We consistently see, you know, one of the league's best secondaries and just, you know, the, the, the amount of havoc they can create in the backfield should still be anyone's idea of a great defense. And even if Lamar Mar doesn't take a big step forward. Like you said, keeps winning games. I think they can still, you know, provide a lethal offense. Give me over 11. It's a good line though. All right. Next squad, the Cincinnati Bengals, the only team to have a bad training camp practice so far on offense. Allegedly, if you uh, pay attention to the old Twitter sphere, Andrew is our defining question. That's my defining question. Are we seriously going to let one bad training camp report get in the way of months following this squad? Because at this point, that seems to be why everyone is falling. Every time I talk about Tyler Boyd, they go, oh, are you concerned about Joe Burrow not having a great practice or having a good report with it? We've always backed these guys because of volume. That's always been it. Mixon had the most touches in the league before he got hurt. Burrow had the most dropbacks in the league before he got hurt. Are we really going to let one bad report ruin all of our Bengals optimism, Andrew? No, because that's stupid. Oh, yeah. You shouldn't do that. Again, it's one report. It's being totally overblown because of the way it blew up on social media. And that's kind of masking the fact that every team has bad practices. Every player has bad days. And that's not the point. Joe Burrow's coming back from a freaking torn ACL and MCL. Like, of course, he's going to be slow. Of course, he's going to have some, you know, ghosts, uh, pressures in the pocket. He's going to have happy feet a little bit. Like, it's just the, the natural progression of a guy coming back from a pretty serious knee injury. So people need to calm their jets on writing off the Bengals before they even freaking played because they're going to throw more than any other team in the NFL. The guy averaged 40 passing attempts per game before his injury. That's why we love this offense. We love all the receivers in this offense. We love Joe Mixon. So buy the freaking dip on the Cincinnati Bengals. Like retweet all that stuff and be like, oh, get people off of the Bengals so you can draft these guys so much later on. Like again, like if they all become values, then you're just going to absolutely wreck your league. Like I love this offense. Again, we talk about it being Dallas Cowboys of the North is the Cincinnati Bengals. So yeah, be all over this dip. I wish the offensive line was better, but quit holding the bad offensive line only against Bengals players. We ha we've had our PFF offensive line rankings out here for about a month now. I just went through the top 15 running backs in ADP and looked at their offensive line ranks. Yeah, the Bengals are PFF's 25th ranked offensive line. Not good. Najee Harris has the league's 31st ranked offensive line. Saquon Barkley, 32nd. Dalvin Cook, 27th. Christian McCaffrey, 30th. Do we care about that for those guys? No, because they're going to see three down workhorse level volume, just like Joe Mixon is. So don't hold it against him any more than you are against those other guys. All right, Andrew, most underutilized player. I, everyone in the world knows it's Auden Tate, but if you want to talk about someone else, I will give you the opportunity. <laughs> Yes, Auden Tate deserves honorable mention. I think that he would be at least pushing for wide receiver three status on most NFL. I mean, he'd be probably the wide receiver one on the Patriots, honestly. I mean, yes. I would take him on the team. I mean, I he would give Nikhil Harry a run for his money. But my most underutilized player on the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm just going to highlight T. Higgins here because T. Higgins would be, be, would be talked about in the same ilk as CeeDee Lamb if they did not draft Jamar Chase. I, I, I'm pretty convinced that people will be talking about him 
entering the wide receiver one conversation because of the uptick in targets as the alpha on that offense. And in a sending off, it's going to pass a ton, but because the team drafted Jamar chase Higgins has kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit. His ADP is wide receiver 22. I have, I have him ranked right in that area as well, but you can't overstate how good this guy was as a rookie, his PFF receiving grade versus man coverage 85.2 was the sixth highest by a rookie since 2014. The names in front of him, Justin Jefferson, Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham Jr., Mike Evans, and Juju Smith-Schuster. And the other names on that list that he was above, A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, and Stephon Diggs. So he's in very elite company of what he was able to do against man coverage last year. And that's just signifying how excited we should be about this player. And you should be looking to acquire T. Like I have T. Higgins ranked over Jamar Chase because I think that, the chase hype has gotten a little bit too inflated. I understand the connection with Joe Burrow and people are kind of flaunting to that. It's like, Oh, it's so Burrow's guy. But I mean, we've seen this before play out in the NFL, like just because a player, an NFL player and a new receiver had a connection in college, it doesn't usually always transpire into this amazing thing at the NFL level. I mean, Hey, I fell for the Kobe Fleener, Andrew Luck thing. I was like all over that. And it's just like totally blew up my face did not work whatsoever. That's just one example, but it doesn't necessarily mean a lot. I think it's being weighed too heavily. I also think it's being weighed too heavily is the Justin Jefferson effect on Jamar Chase, where Justin Jefferson had this insane rookie year. And then we look back at 2019 with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. But, oh, well, Chase was better than Justin Jefferson. So would you draft Chase over Justin Jefferson if the Vikings took Jamar Chase? Like, is that what you would have done? I think that's something that people need to start to think about and be like, wait a minute, like T Higgins showed at the NFL level that he could freaking ball out. Jamar Chase hasn't done that yet. Jamar Chase hasn't played football in over a year. So calm the Jets on Chase. Again, I think if he falls a little bit more, I think he should be going behind Higgins. I think that that makes him more appropriate to draft. Again, we like all these Bengals wide receivers. You should be trying to target all of them. But for me, I prefer Higgins as the one primary one that I want to target. And I think that he'd be getting way more hype if they didn't end up drafting Chase. I'm just tired of this idea that Chase is like bad in this off, like that Chase is bad news for Higgins and Boyd mm. in this offense. We just saw AJ Green's corpse get 104 targets and be just about as awful with those opportunities as we ever could have hoped for. There's plenty of available targets in this offense for Chase to come in and not even impact Higgins and Boyd's role. If he is going to impact anyone, it's probably going to be Higgins because they're both on the outside. But I agree with you to assume that Chase is going to be the number one. It is a bit of a leap of faith. I do have Chase one spot ahead of Higgins, but I have Boyd one spot behind them because I think they're all really close in an offense that's going to have a ton of volume takes me right to our favorite fantasy value tyler boyd i'd say it every freaking day pretty much he's one of my guys and just spare me I, I love this phrase i guess keep sparing me uh different things spare me the idea that tyler boyd doesn't have upside he was the wide receiver 11 before burrow got hurt last year the only two games he didn't catch at least five passes were against the ravens and chargers when just burrow really had no time to throw the ball to anybody so if you want to even go you know galaxy brain it if the o-line is as bad as they are if burrow is as you know skittish in the pocket as they're trying to say he is right now wouldn't that seemingly lead to more low average target depth dump offs to mr boyd out of the slot would make sense to me so boyd going as like a wide borderline wide receiver three still you know it's every single day i'm getting more and more of him in best ball couldn't be happier we have years of wide receiver two evidence and our most recent and applicable sample tells us he actually has wide receiver one upside give me all the tyler boyd be with me andrew 100 84 percent slot snap rate in 2020 
like you said, Chase is probably going to impact Higgins more than Tyler Boyd. And my rankings, especially in PPR, I have these three Bengals receivers back to back to back because I feel that you should just grab any of them. And when you can get Higgins or Chase in one round and then the next round, you just scoop up Tyler Boyd like you're cooking with gas. Like this is exactly what you want in a pass heavy offense are just pieces of it. And the fact that Tyler Boyd gets targets, that means he has upside. Like just because they're closer to the line of scrimmage doesn't necessarily mean he's doomed to produce in fantasy football. So yes, could not agree more. Tyler Boyd at wide receiver 33 is a crime. Wild card scenario. I'm going to go with Joe Mixon becoming the overall RB1. It's possible. If he stays healthy for 17 games, we could be looking at 300 carries and 80 plus targets. You know, I went through the offensive line ranks. Why couldn't Mixon do what McCaffrey did behind a just fellowly awful offensive line? Is McCaffrey a better real life player than Mixon? I, I do believe so. I'm not trying to say Mixon is this class of the world running back, but volume just gets you so far. And if there are if they are going to feed him the workload that Brian Callahan keeps telling us they're going to give him, you know, he's going to have a good chance of at least flirting with the top five, even if he's not going to be the overall uh, RB one. And you know, just. Stop it with the he's going to be hurt by week five. Joe Mixon played 16 games in 2019. He played 14 games in 2018. He played 14 games in 2017. You can find a laundry list of running backs that have missed more games than Joe Mixon over the last four years. Quit holding back Mixon and Chris Carson because of injuries that haven't happened yet. You know, this is one of my 10 tips for all your fantasy drafts. Very big difference between being already injured and being injury prone. Mixon is not injured right now. I don't think there's any sort of evidence to say that he's someone that just consistently gets injured year after year. Again, he missed four games in the previous three seasons, people. That's fine. That's nothing out of the ordinary. Go get Joe Mixon in round three where he's freaking falling sometimes. And even at the end of round two, I think he's a perfectly fine value. Absolutely love the Joe Mixon call. I think Joe Mixon is going to be end up being one of my guys. I've gone on a couple of podcasts and kind of yeah. stamped my flag on him. So I might actually just go all in because again, if the planets align, the stars align for him, like he does have that type of upside with the amount of volume he's going to get in this offense. And if Joe Burrow is kind of shaky to start the year, what is he going to do? He's going to dump it off to his running back. Or what are the, what are the Bengals going to do? They're going to feed Joe Mixon, the guy that they paid a lot of money to. So I think it makes way much, way too much sense for Joe Mixon to be a guy that you want to target. For me, my wild card is, I mean, it wouldn't be a complete Bengals review if we didn't talk about CJ Uzama, tight end extraordinaire, because you mentioned Brian Callahan, Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator for the Bengals, 50 receptions for Uzama is realistic this season. And I actually crunched some numbers and it actually kind of is realistic. Drew Sample caught 40 passes last year, shockingly, the run blocking tight end for the Cincinnati Bengals. So you add that with the catches that Uzuma already had going into the season. He had two games. He was top five points per game. I get two games, small sample size, but at the same time, he's been rehabbing with Joe Burrow because he had a torn Achilles. So you have a little bit of, hey, we've been hanging out. We've been rehabbing together. Like, let's go grab a beer. How about you throw me the ball in the end zone? I think that'll be great. So CJ Uzoma, again, no one's drafting this guy, but he's attached to a high powered offense. Again, I'm starting to like get more concerned about this Blake Jarwin, Dalton Schultz, like tight end conundrum. So instead just draft Uzoma who kind of is playing that role, except he doesn't share it with anybody else. Like Drew sample is the run blocking tight end in this offense. And I actually looked at every tight end that was top 15 last year in fantasy points total. They all caught at least 50 passes. So there is a path where Uzoma in this high powered offense finishes a top 15 option. No, he's not going to be a difference maker, but if you, you know, 
take a late round tight end and miss fires. He's almost sitting on the waiver wire. Hey, plays in a good offense, could fall into the end zone. So that's my wild card. It's a good point. I will say before we started this podcast, I'm not sure if you saw it. It sounds like Dalton Schultz might've had a serious injury, was hobbling off and had something going on with his leg. So if that's the case, then yes. Okay. Get back in Blake Jarwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) For sure. We'll we'll keep an eye on that one for sure. All right, Andrew, over under six and a half wins. We got minus 120 lean on the under. I'm kind of feeling the under two. I just think there's still some enough holes on this team. I think they can be an entertaining high-ish scoring offense, but the defense, you know, like, Losing William Jackson sucks. You know, Gino's out of the picture now. I think the defense is going to be one of the league's worst units. The offensive line, I don't think it's going to be good enough to help them be this top 10 offense to overcome it. Ultimately, I think they're one year away. I brought up this comparison a few times now, but we had Baker go to the Browns year one, year two. All the hype comes in. We get the number one receiver, Odell Beckham, in. kind of, you know, overshadowed problems they still had in the offensive line and defense. Kyler Murray goes to the Cardinals year two. DeAndre Hopkins comes in. Everyone's pumped about this. Once again, the defense and to a lesser extent, the offensive line didn't help things out. Looking like the same situation with the Bengals. I realize Jamar Chase isn't as established as OBJ or Hopkins. We're still looking at a former number one overall pick, former Heisman winner year two on a team with bigger holes than probably just adding one great wide receiver. So I will take the under there. What are you feeling? I'm also in on the under because Zach Taylor, two years as the Bengals head coach, has still not hit this over. He has six wins as the Bengals head coach under six and a half. So, yeah, I'm, I can't believe in Zach Taylor to get to win games, basically. So, yeah. Why is his seat not freaking hotter? At- I mean, it, it just seems like we're going to be talking about this team in 2022 and it's going to be Joe Brady's the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> like, that seems like what is going to be the thing that's going to end up happening after he has a good year. He, you know, Sam Darnold is average and they're like, yeah, like Joe Brady, like get him back with Burrow. This will be great. So yeah, Zach Taylor. I mean, he has shown us nothing to give us confidence that he's going to be able to, with all of the problems you just listed off that, you know, his coaching, how much is actually going to help is going to get them over the hump. In 2019, Taylor's first year in Cincy, the offense didn't score more than 23 points until week 16. And then last year, once Burrow was out, it looked like the Cowboys and they lost Dak. Like everything just went out the window. <laughs> We'd like to see a little bit higher of a baseline floor uh, from, you know, the latest McVay disciple. All right, Andrew, Cleveland Browns time. I'll say it right now, man. This team looks like one of the most complete rosters in the league. The defining question, can we get the best version of this Browns roster we've seen in years with the best version of Baker Mayfield? What do you think? I think that we can. What we saw from Baker Mayfield down the stretch is exactly what we want to look for for quarterbacks taking the next step. PFF's second highest graded quarterback from week seven on. From weeks 12 through 18, again, after the all of the you know Houston game, the Eagles game, where all these weather conundrums were happening, you know, 21 point fantasy points per game. It was QB 10 in terms of points per game. And he was doing it from the clean pocket. Like that's something we want to look at. PFF's fifth highest graded quarterback from a clean pocket. And guess what? The clean pockets are not going away because they have the best offensive line in the NFL. So everything is set for Baker Mayfield to take a significant step forward and build off what he did last year. He's getting Odell Beckham back. And like you said, from a complete team standpoint, you know, you looking down this roster, you're like trying to figure out, okay, like where is this team like really weak? It's like, no, they got solid receivers, excellent running backs, solid tight end. Like they have a ton of depth all over the place. 
And I think Beckham, if he's able to even be 80%, 90% of what he was in New York, I mean, that's going to take Mayfield to the next level. So I love the Browns. I love a lot of their players. I think that I'm going to be, I think we're going to be talking some overs. I, I think we will. And yeah, you know, I've spent probably an hour at this point in the offseason telling people listening to this podcast why Baker is not, in fact, worse when Odo Beckham is on the field. Just to quickly sum that up, the guys had three play callers in three years. It was a COVID offseason with no preseason. It shouldn't be that hard to wrap your mind around that. Yeah, when Baker didn't have a first six weeks of the year, okay, when he was playing better, it wasn't because Donovan People-Jones, Rashard Higgins, and Daryl Hodge were just bringing out the best version of Baker Mayfield. Like, do you know how insane that sounds to say out loud? Stop it. And the one stat that, again, I got that just should end this entire conversation is that Baker averages 0.6 more yards per attempt without Beckham. Patrick Mahomes averages 0.6 more yards per attempt without Tyreek Hill. Makes you think, Andrew, maybe it's a sample size issue rather than an offense actually being worse without a proven stud like OBJ or Tyreek Hill. I'm just interested to see if Baker can get back to being a great fantasy QB as well, because, you know, 2018, I think people forget how in love we were with Baker after this, because after Hugh Jackson got fired, QB QB 10 down the stretch, even though he wasn't really throwing uh, too much of anybody with all due respect to Rashad Perryman and Jarvis Landry. He was the QB four in ADP going into 2019. I think people are still so bummed about being burned by Baker turning in the QB 20 finish in 2019 that we're not getting back on board and we can still get him almost in the same exact area we could last off season. So with OBJ last year, Baker was just a QB 26 in weeks one through six without, he was the QB 15. But as we've talked about before with the Browns, they had like the Eagles, the Raiders, and one more game that were just, you know, played in pretty much a monsoon. We're seeing both quarterbacks, you know, having 20 total pass attempts after those games, Baker was fantasy's QB seven during the final six weeks, trailing only Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins, and Lamar Jackson. Second year in Stefanski's offense, I think we could see them be a little more pass heavy. Please, please, God, one time, best version of Baker, best version of OBJ, and the same offense. Why not? Let's talk most underutilized player, Andrew. Got to be Kareem Hunt. No, I think it's Dick Chubb. I, I think it's I. I would be all for them taking away less, taking away from Kareem Hunt and giving the ball more to Nick Chubb. Again, 17 touches per game for Nick Chubb last season when he was healthy, 11th in the NFL. And what did he do with those touches? Oh, well, he was second in fantasy points per snap because he's like the most efficient running back we've ever seen. But he's never played, or at least last year, he never played more than 62% of the team's offensive snaps. So, I mean, I think about this sometimes where, you know, if something were to happen to Cream Hunt, you know, don't want to wish any ill will on any player, but if that were to happen... I mean, where would we rank Nick Chubb in, in terms of the running back rankings? Again, they have a couple other guys on the roster. I don't know how much how much they would feature those individual players, but I mean, he'd have to be at least like a top five guy, even in like the PPR formats. I mean, I think you'd have to put him at least with Derrick Henry to an extent because of just how efficient he is as a running back. And then you factor in how good the offensive line is, and you factor in that the Browns have the easiest schedule for running backs in 2020 or in 2021, and they have the second easiest schedule during the five game stretch to open the season. I mean, they get to play the Houston Texans in week two. Like Nick Chubb is going to rush for like 200 yards in that game. And people are going to be like, Oh my God, I faded this guy because he doesn't catch passes, but I forgot he could rush for 200 yards. Like that's going to be a fun game to watch for sure. But for me, again, we saw it last year, Nick Chubb got hurt. Cream hunt didn't fire. He was kind of disappointing, but if the reverse happens, no doubt in my mind, Nick Chubb is putting up RB one numbers. 
I know Hunt didn't ball the hell out when Chubb was out, but the usage was what we wanted to see, which is good. Because remember, we had that Cowboys game where Chubb got hurt originally. Hunt was banged up too. He was actually questionable going into it. That's why he only played 34% of the snaps. And we actually had to waste time the following week wondering if Dearness Johnson was going to be a fantasy factor. After that, yeah, he didn't put up massive numbers, but still. 24 combined carries and touches against the Colts, uh, 22 combined against the Bengals, and 17 combined against the Raiders in one of those monsoon games where they just didn't have a bunch of plays. Hit 86 and 90% snap rates. The one game that's really throwing things off was when the Browns just got massacred 38-7 to against <laughs> the Steelers, and they basically took the first-team offense off the field at the start of the fourth quarter. So it's another reminder that, yes, I agree, per game stats and you know uh, splits are better than full season-long stuff because that gets more flawed. We still need to do a little bit more digging sometime. But, you know, yeah, Chubb, very well, the best running back in the league with the ball in his hands. Hunt is up there, man. PFF rushing grade since 2017. Chubb is second. Hunt is 10th. Yards after contact per carry. Chubb is first. Hunt's tied for 12th. Missed tackles first per attempt. Chubb first. Hunt tied for three. I was trying to go through like what teams would Hunt not start on. And I got the Titans, the Colts, Giants, Cowboys, Vikings, Saints, Panthers, obviously the Browns. You don't need more than two hands, that's for sure. It's an embarrassment of riches for the Browns. Obviously, it's possible because of Hunt's uh, you know, past off-the-field transgressions, if you will. Either way, man, this offense absolutely loaded, as you said. Who is your favorite fantasy value of this group? Before I get my fantasy value, I do want to ask you a question about Hunt's ADP. Do you think that he's fairly priced at like how much standalone value does he really have? I feel like the receiving touchdowns gave him a a boost. I mean, he caught five receiving touchdowns was the same as Alvin Kamara, but he had like half the target. I mean, you mentioned it before, like Mark Ingram had five receiving touchdowns. He had this like massive RB one finish kind of like cream hunt. And I'm afraid that his season long numbers are a little inflated because he actually didn't get hurt. Like he was, it was like him that played 16 games. Derrick Henry played 16 games. I think like Devin Singletary of like the top tier backs, like that people were like really focused on that actually played all 16 games. So I think that he's a little overvalued where he's going. I mean, he's like a fifth round pick and it seems a lot to pay for like a guy who is a handcuff does have some standalone value, of course, but his, his ceiling is capped with, with Chubb there. I was my RB 23. So I don't necessarily think he's going where he shouldn't be. I'm just not drafting in the yeah. guy because where he is going, I'm taking a wide receiver. Right. That's better. That's a better answer for the question. Anyway, <laughs> he's just in the thick of that RB dead zone. I mean, when you, we want to yell regression because it's hard to be that good again, but I'm more okay with taking a chance on that with someone like hunt that again is such a proven uh, great talent at the position. So it's a good point overvalued he has been starting to slip though i feel like he was closer to 20 uh earlier in the offseason now he's getting more in the rb 25 range so if he keeps sliding okay but yeah he certainly is you know 10 spots ahead of pretty much our flex with benefits tier when that is his role it's a little bit more enhanced than that but yeah either way man league winning upside if either of these guys gets hurt again don't just put all your eggs into the one meh four game sample i'm gonna go ahead and just say real quick my favorite fantasy value Mr. Odell Beckham Jr., one of my guys, people, he's going as the wide receiver 27 right now. And that's actually been moving up over the past few weeks. Last year, pre-injury, he was wide receiver 19. In 2019, he was a wide receiver 25. Like, just regardless of if you think we're getting the best version of Beckham back, even if you don't think his volume is going to increase from last year, 
He's undervalued compared to what we've expected. I feel like just, again, more factors are being held against OBJ than like other players in a similar situation. I know the volume isn't like it was in New York. You don't have to draft him like you did in New York or even in his first two years in Cleveland. The, one of the best receivers we have seen over the past half decade has never been cheaper. I am buying all the Odo Beckham. He is my wide receiver. Let's see. Wide receiver 21. I'm taking him ahead of the Bengals guys, ahead of DJ Moore, Adam Thielen, Jerry Judy. Great day to be great. Give me some OBJ wide receiver one in 2021. You with me, Andrew? I do think that he's accurately priced. I don't think that it's egregious to pay that price. Oh. ADP wide receiver 27. 28% target share led the team in air yards and end zone targets when he was healthy last season. The only thing I have with him is I just like a lot of those second year receivers going in that range, like the Chase Claypools, Ayukes, Chenaults. I like a lot of those players. And I really like Deontay Johnson as well, too. Like I'm really high on Deontay Johnson. So he's another player I that Deontay, I have Deontay ahead of Odell. I'll give you that. Yeah. One. So I like some of those other players. So that's why I don't draft as much as Odell Beckham as I like, but I don't feel bad about like, Oh, like I got to draft OBJ. Like, no, you shouldn't feel bad about that. You should feel like excited that you got an elite player at a discounted price because you look at his games last year. It was really the games that were against tough defenses that he didn't do well. Like usually in games where a lot of receivers are going to bust, but in the two games he played against bad defenses, Bengals Cowboys average 28 fantasy points per game. So are the days of OBJ being like this locked and loaded starting every single week over maybe so I, I would i would understand that okay like you play him more situationally and that's how you get the most out of him because the browns are going to probably be a run centric offense so they're playing some different teams like you got to pay attention to the matches with obj i think the days of just kind of locking him loading him as a elite fantasy weapon i think might be over but at the same time they have the second easiest schedule start the, the start of the year they have the chiefs texans bears Vikings, Chargers, like you're going to want to play OBJ in all those games. So, so you're going to be set for the first five weeks. Last point on OBJ. Again, if he had to, if he was your wide receiver one or wide receiver two, unless you're just loaded at running back, you're not feeling great about that. Let me tell you from experience, when you have that underdog best ball lineup and you are taking <laughs> Odell Beckham as your wide receiver four, goddamn people, it is borderline erotic. Andrew, do you have a favorite fantasy value? Yeah, so I like Austin Hooper a little bit. Again, he's not a sexy name whatsoever, but again, he's one of these tight ends that people were kind of excited about a little bit last year because obviously he got this fat contract from the Browns. We've seen some history with Baker Mayfield targeting the tight end position. We thought, okay, maybe this could work. But the season for the Browns, especially for Hooper, it was like really weird. Like he got hurt during the middle of the season and then you had the games where they all missed COVID. So there was no tight ends available at all. Like it was a mess. Like he missed a big chunk of the middle of the year, but when he was healthy last year, weeks one through six, 18% target share, that's really solid for a tight end. Like that's not easy to do. And then he maintained that target share from weeks 12 onwards throughout the playoffs. And the biggest thing is, Oh, Andrew, is it because Odo Beckham jr. Was there? It's like, no, it was actually Jarvis Landry. That saw like the really massive boost in target share. When OBJ was out, Austin Hooper's target share remained constant throughout the year. So again, another year with Baker Mayfield, we saw this with Austin Hooper with Matt Ryan, like Austin Hooper was not a thing until a couple of years already with Matt Ryan as his quarterback. So it took some time, but you know, his target rate last year, six best among all tight ends before and after the Beckham injury. So I think that Hooper is going to definitely beat his ADP as tight end 24. Again, I don't think he's going to offer any top five upside because I think that he's a little bit limited 
as an athletic tight end. You know, he's really more of a catch and fall down type of player, but situationally, I think that he could have a boon in terms of touchdown production. You look at Baker Mayfield this past season, 26% red zone touchdown rate in 2020 was less than his rookie year, which was 33%. It was actually less than the league average. So again, Mayfield threw four fewer touchdowns than expected per PFF's expected fantasy points tool. So if we're going to see a Boone performance from Baker Mayfield, it's going to come because of passing touchdowns. That's what we see from these pocket passing quarterbacks. The only way they can be relevant in fantasy is they have these outlier seasons and passing touchdowns. I think Baker Mayfield might be that quarterback that has like an Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady season from last year because of the touchdown efficiency. So, and I think that would benefit Austin Hooper again. Maybe he's could be Robert Tanyan. Maybe that's what I'll go with. I like it. And while we're here, I would say, you know, if you see some long plus odds on Baker at MVP, crazier thing. Oh, yes. We said in the NFC North one, if uh, if Matt Ryan can win MVP, Kirk Cousins could, Baker Mayfield could. You said if they have just this major one-year boom and they have the touchdown spike, that's their path to success. It's a great point. Last year, Hooper was going as the tight end 13. That was egregious. This year, he's not even listed on the fantasy football calculator <laughs> ADP at the moment. I mean, he was going ahead of, uh, you know, just some studs last year. TJ Hawkinson, Mike Jusicki, Jonu Smith. No, he shouldn't have picked him last year, just like he shouldn't have picked Tyler Higby. But this year, at cost, I think Hooper makes a lot of sense in that late round tight end range. Wild card scenario, I will go first. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones could lock down the wide receiver three spot sooner rather than later. It's not for sure. I'm not even... You know, if you want to use a late round pick on the guy, he's one of a million wide receivers. You could warrant, you know, using the 16th rounder on. He looked really good, though, in his limited opportunity. And, you know, as we've talked about with Nico Collins, the fact that he didn't have the sort of collegiate production we would have hoped for, you know, might just be more of a factor of playing in that Michigan offense than anything. But the cool stat I found that I guess kind of turned me on and Donovan Peoples-Jones during the offseason, rookie wide receivers that have averaged at least two yards per out run since 2016 only a minimum 20 targets, nothing too crazy. But here's the list. A.J. Brown, Tyree Kill, Michael Thomas, Chris Goblin, Cooper Cup, Terry McLaurin, Juju Smith-Schuster, Debo Samuel, Hunter Renfro, Robert Foster, and then last year, Justin Jefferson, Chase Claypool, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Is there a decent chance Donovan Peoples-Jones is closer to Robert Foster than anyone else on that list? Absolutely. But when the guy is as cheap as he is, you know, throughout the industry, I could think of worse, you know, dynasty investments. And I think there could be a situation where if we look at the snap rates and all of a sudden we see people's Jones pulling away from that group and really starting to cement himself in through wide receiver sets. That's when we can pounce on the waiver wire or in DFS. So not necessarily necessarily saying, you know, to expect people's Jones to see, seize this job from day one, but really keep an eye on it because it should be a prolific offense. We're expecting Baker to put up some big numbers. So if we can get an ingrained number three wide receiver, they're not going to put up top 20 numbers, but if, as long as we're not rotating three of them, like it might be the case, that's when we could at least get a reliable streamer. Yeah, I think that Donovan Peoples-Jones is one of the better picks. Again, you mentioned the yards per route run. He was one of the tops in the class. I mean, this was a loaded class. And again, the reason he was such a bad a late-round pick in the real NFL draft was because he played at Michigan, and everyone's numbers out of Michigan, like Nico Collins, are just atrocious. So you got to have to look past the helmet and realize what he did at the NFL level, and he was productive. So, yes, I agree. As my wild card, Don Peoples Jones. Do you just like last point on the Browns before we get to the win total? So Jarvis Landry, I 
I don't really know how I view him. I, I was trying to figure out like, so in my team preview series, I have like bus breakouts, sleepers, values, undervalues. And I literally couldn't fit a category where Jarvis Landry like felt, I, I just like put like meh. Cause I was like, I don't really know. I mean, he's, I guess he's a value. Cause he's like, I mean, he's wide receiver 46. So it's not like you're paying a lot for him, but like, I mean, do I want him? I mean, Brandon Cooks is wide receiver 45. Like, he's going to leave his team in targets. You got Jalen Waddle at wide receiver 47. Like, he's an explosive rookie wide receiver. Like, and then I could just draft Sterling Shepard like two rounds later than Jarvis Landry. So I, I guess, like, what should people expect out of Jarvis Landry? Is Jarvis Landry kind of like a, a boring pick? Like, we saw his targets obviously go up without Odo Beckham last year, but Odo Beckham is back in action. And Landry wasn't very good when Beckham was actually playing on the Browns before his injury. Historically, going back to 2014, Landry has never finished worse than one spot off his ADP. <laughs> so I'm afraid to like really put him too far down the rankings. I'll also give him a little bit of credit for even playing as much as he did last year. I mean, he had that offseason hip surgery like fairly late in the process. There were a lot of people wondering if he'd even be set up to go. Uh yeah, probably have him too low or too. I don't know. I'm just man. like, I'm just like, meh. Like, that's kind of like how I feel about him. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to scream to the heavens and be like, oh, like Landry's so undervalued. Like, what are you guys doing? It's like, guys, like, he's, he's Darvis Landry. Like, yes, he's going to meet ADP, but are you getting an edge if he beats his ADP by like 10 spots, like from wide receiver 47 to wide receiver 36? Like, does that really matter? And it probably doesn't. I have him as a wide receiver 43 that feels low, <laughs> but then I look at the guys I have him ranked in front of Corey Davis, Brandon cooks, Mike Williams. And I now want to move Jarvis <laughs> even lower, despite knowing that, Hey, he's probably going to be a top 40 receiver when it's all said and done. I think you hit the nail on the head though. with like, okay, does he have like legit wide receiver two upside this year? I don't think so. If he wasn't able to be more than the wide receiver 36 without OBJ in the picture last year, I just don't really see him getting into wide receiver two territory. So if he really slides far and you're taking him as like your sixth or seventh wide receiver, okay, we can boogie with that. But generally, no, nah, I'm keeping expectations pretty low. It would make, kind of make sense if Jarvis doesn't have the smoothest aging process. He's been one of the best yak receivers throughout his career. I'm not saying he's an old man just yet, but in an offense that really isn't designed to go through him like those Miami Adam Gase teams were, I'm just not so sure betting on a receiver that, you know, will be 29 in November. Again, not, not an old man by any stretch, but also wouldn't be surprised if we've already seen the best years of Jarvis Landry. Andrew, the over-under Sitting pretty, 10 and a half, minus 110 lean on the over. This is a team that last year won 11 games. Vegas, despite the extra one, is setting at 10 and a half. We're pounding this over, yeah? 100%. Love the brownies. 100%. Bet it right now while we're freaking talking. Why not? Actually, first, before... I bet this, I might even do it while we're doing it. I got to read some ads, people, because fantasy football season is here and no one can prepare you better for your draft than PFF for just $9.99. Get access to PFF's fantasy football draft guide, player rankings and projections, and all of PFF's locked article content. Again, that's PFF's fantasy suite for just $9.99. Just smarter than your league mates this season. And before we get to the next segment, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is free fantasy football league managers, the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is going to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. They're coming from another site. No problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. Create a new account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league 
plus six grand, people. You hear that damn deal I just said? Listen, I know I'm reading an ad. Maybe you're not listening, but this is important. Promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. Chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league plus six grand. If you're not using that to go to Las Vegas, check out a Raiders game and then head up the casinos. I don't know what you're doing. Again, promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. And finally, people, college football season is just around the corner. Celebrate DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app to put in new players in the center of the action with $200 and free bets instantly if you bet $1 or more in any college football game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet in any college football game. Limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. I feel like, Andrew, I could be one of those guys in the commercials who read you like the bad side effects of stuff and, you know, just kind of list it real fast in a hurry. They might not even need to speed up my voice, man. And that might be my, uh, you know, just calling after all these years. But worry about that later because we got one more squad to talk about here. That is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Our boss, man, PFF George, made headlines last year when he called them the most overrated. Was it 11, 12, no, 11 and no team ever? Certainly was proved correct as the offense fell off a cliff during the final two months of the season. And I guess the question for me, Andrew, is what version of this offense are we getting? Because the Steelers in the first half of the year were fine. They scored at least 24 points in each of their first 10 games, hit 26 and all but one of those. But last seven games surpassed even 20 points on just three occasions. It is curious to me, and I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just curious that the Steelers were basically anticipating fully resembling the group we saw in the second half of the year. Meanwhile, Seattle Seahawks, pretty much the same kind of tale of two halves, and we're looking at the first half of the year for them. So, Andrew, what version of this offense are we getting and should we expect to get? I think we're going to get a more balanced approach. Matt Canada taking over as offensive coordinator. I think it's going to be a little bit – I mean, they can't nearly throw the ball as much as they did last year. Again, they drafted a running back in the first round for a reason. And that's naturally going to make them skew a little bit more run heavy. So I don't think that we're going to see three top 24 wide receivers finish like we did last year. So I do think that when it's all said and done, like one of Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, or Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be left holding the bag being like, okay, like what happened? Like what happened to all my targets? I think that's going to happen because Najee Harris, not only is going to eat up touches in the run game, but he's going to catch passes. And, And that's why he's immune from this offensive line slander that is the Pittsburgh Steelers because what's Big Ben going to do? Like, he's just going to check the ball down to Najee Harris. And Najee Harris is going to make a ton of plays. You know, a massive chunk of his production last year at Alabama stemmed from receiving work. And the other thing, too, about this offensive line, yes, they were terrible in run blocking. Uh, fourth, fourth in PFF pass blocking grade, which no one seems to care about because there's a difference between how good an offensive line pass blocks versus how good an offensive line run blocks. Now, again, the stats are a little bit skewed because of the way that Ben Roethlisberger was able to get rid of the ball super quickly. And that's why obviously he didn't get sacked a lot last year. So again, still not saying this offensive line is anyone's imagination of an elite unit. It's not, but it doesn't matter. Like Najee Harris four running backs saw 300 plus touches in 2020. They all finished as top eight fantasy running backs. Like it's really that simple with Najee Harris. So I do think that this offense is going to be in terms of points and opportunities, I think we'll probably be around the same, but I do think that it's going to shift a little bit away from the receivers, a little more to the run game with Najee Harris coming in because we can't just expect Najee Harris to step in and be, you know, a top 12 running back and just, okay, well, all the receivers will be fine. Like big Ben will be fine. Like 
there is going to be some dip in receiving production. And if I'm making a bet, like, I mean, I'm betting it's going to be Juju that kind of is the left is the last is the guy that gets left out. And that's what I think. That's how I've been building the rankings too. Cause it's, you know, if you expect all three of these guys to ball out again, then you would kind of expect Ben to put up some level of numbers. We see that, you know, from time to time, similar why we're high on Kirk cousins, expecting Dalvin Jefferson, Dylan kind of Irv to play well, it would put, you know, go hand in hand with Kirk cousins playing well. Najee doesn't even need to play that well if he's going to have this insane volume. And the fact that it's no longer like back in the day, 20 years ago, we did have to worry about how good running backs were doing with the volume in 2019 different running backs had over 300 touches and then went 13 in 2001, 16, 2002, 15, 2003. Andrew, spoiler alert, it goes down quickly. Last year, only four running backs had at least 300 touches. It was nine in 2019. I'm not saying we, you know, we, we only need one hand to count the number of running backs getting 300-plus touches these days. But Najee projects to be one of those guys. And historically, they just don't bust. We don't need to worry about offensive line rankings when you're getting this much insane volume. So with Najee, maybe you know, you're one of these people, again, concerned too much about the offensive line. We're not holding it against Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey. Don't hold it against Najee, particularly because one of the things he's been lauded the most for is this insane catch radius and ability to catch the ball, which is the, you know, basically the cheat code we need for running backs to get into that top five, unless you're Derrick Henry running for freaking 2000 yards whenever you feel like it. Let's talk most underutilized player, Andrew. I think it's got to be the man asking for a trade or maybe he pulled it back and isn't asking for a trade. James Washington right there on the short list with Auden Tate, Tim Patrick, best number four wide receivers in the NFL. Please trade him somewhere, man. This dude has had to play with Mason Rudolph since 2014. Like think about things in your life that you've been doing for that long. Like imagine now catching passes from Mason Rudolph. Must not be a great, you know, last seven years to be James Washington. Still only 25 years of age. He's shown big playability. Yeah, it's concerning that, you know, Pittsburgh, who on the short list of, uh, I guess we can't say wide receiver you because these are professional sports franchises. But if we did have an NFL honor for the best, you know, team at developing wide receivers, Steelers are up there. It's concerning that they couldn't figure it out with them, but I'm still a believer, man. And if the Titans, Chargers, Eagles, Packers, Saints, one of these squads could add them. I'd be back in buying at a discount if, you know, the right situation arises. Agreed. Yeah, I think Washington's got some untapped potential, but it also kind of works. It's a win-win because if they trade away James Washington, that, that means that my most underutilized player from last year, Chase Claypool, can fully be unlocked. You know, we only saw Chase Claypool play five games with a 70%-plus 70, 70 snap share. And despite that fact, I, I mean, the guy... If you look at the historical comps, basically based on his rookie season, it's going to be an outlier if he doesn't break out all over the place in, in 2021. You know, last year he led all rookies in target rate per route run, also known as threat rate, 24%. And since 2013, that's the fifth highest rank among any rookie wide receiver. He also led the NFL in deep targets, like all, all the area, like fifth in total air yards as a rookie. And when you look at his combination of, his ability to win downfield, looking at his average depth of target 15.1, and the fact that he was also making plays after the catch. He was also top 12 in yards after the catch per reception. Like, it's really hard for receivers to do that because they naturally work against each other. The farther you're targeted downfield, the less likely you can make yards after the catch. So what I've noticed a trend with some of these players that have kind of fallen to that tier where in one season they're top 12 in yak, one season they're top 12 in average depth of target, 
and they're all elite players like Calvin Ridley, Galladay, Diggs, Godwin, Tyree Kill. And the only difference is all those guys took two different seasons to do it in, whereas Chase Claypool did it as a rookie in his first season. So I think the ceiling is so high for Chase Claypool, which is why, yes, I have Deontay ranked ahead of him. And I know that I could get totally burned by it, but I just think Deontay's Johnson's his targets in that offense are just so locked and loaded. I feel safer, but the upside play is definitely Chase Claypool. And again, if James, James Washington seems like they're already kind of moving on from him as a part of the offense, Claypool looks like he's going to be like fully locked and loaded in three receiver sets all the time. So I'm really excited about him to really bust out in 2021. I've had Claypool ahead of Juju throughout the offseason, but just looking at his potential, I mean, 103 targets last year, and he turned in a top 24 performance, even with James Washington stealing all that time. We can expect a step backwards from the Steelers offense, but two top 24 receivers instead of three, still a distinct possibility. Moving right along to our favorite fantasy value. I, I think it's still probably Deontay Johnson. I yeah. even... I had him as like my wide receiver 13 or 14 earlier this offseason. I took a step back. I put Chris Goblin and a couple other guys ahead of him. Still, in my mind, a top 16 receiver in full point per reception formats. The big issue people have are drops. Now, I would just say people, like a lot of these stats we've been bringing up, don't hold this against Deontay any more than you're holding it against other guys with this problem. Because since 2019, the drop leaderboard, including playoffs, DK Metcalf has 20. Michael Gallup has 20. Deontay Johnson has 18. Tyree Kill has 18. Stefan Diggs has 17. Mike Evans has 16. All of those guys have between Gallup has 210 targets. Diggs has 219. The rest of them are in the middle. And you, if you want to say, oh, well, those other guys are used downfield more often. Next Gen Stats has done studies showing that those short passes in the middle of the field where Deontay sees a lot of his targets lend themselves to more frequent drops, which makes sense. What's harder to catch? You know, you would think a 40 yard pass downfield, but when it's so floating softly into your hands compared to, you know, big Ben zipping the ball over your freaking uh, wrong ear. When you're five yards away from the guy, you can kind of start to piece it together a little bit more. So as we say, it's a volume game in fantasy land. And last year, only wide receivers are more targets than Deontay, Stefan Diggs, Deandre Hopkins, Allen Robinson, and Devonte Adams. The dude had 139 targets even though if we want to go even deeper into this, we know that there were what two games where he was pulled out in pretty much the first quarter missed another game. He got benched for part of the bills game. I just think that even if we see a step back in Deontay's targets, like would you really like, if you had to put an over under on his targets next year, like 125, would that be it? Because it just seems like he will continue to get fed. We saw at the beginning of the preseason game, they're still feeling the need to feed him these short ones near the line of scrimmage. And he has proven to be capable of winning downfield. And I know he doesn't quite have the same sky high efficiency as Calvin Ridley and as Chris Godwin, our previous third year breakouts. But again, if we can just get Juju to take a small step back, which judging from the Steelers, not be, being willing to give him a long-term deal, I think it makes sense. Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool have the potential to be top 20 receivers in the year 2021. Are you also buying Deontay as your top favorite fantasy value, Andrew? You got someone else. Oh man, that's it, dude. You got to move back up. I got him at my receiver 15 in, in full point in full point PPR because it dude, the targets are going. I mean, yeah, like you said, we saw in preseason, like already get like first play of the game is like literally like a slant to Deontay Johnson. I'm like, okay, of course, here we go. Same offense as last year with Deontay Johnson getting all these slants and button hook types routes. So yeah, I think he's locked and loaded. 
round five is usually where he goes. And I think that it's a friggin' steal every single time. It was, it was usually Deontay and Kenny Galladay were guys that was targeting round five. And now because Galladay's kind of the hamstring injury and things like that, the Giants offense is not looking great, kind of shied away from Galladay. And now Deontay's like round five. Like I just kind of lock him in every single time he's there. So yes, I agree. 26% target share when he shared the field with Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster last season. In his healthy games, 18.5 expected fantasy points per game, which is taking in consideration all the opportunities he saw, which was second highest at the position. So, yeah, I think we're in on Deontay. We're in on Claypool. And then that brings me into my wild card, which is just Smith-Schuster kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit. Again, the low A dot last year. Again, Deontay Johnson had a low A dot too, but he was able to kind of put up better numbers and just Smith-Schuster just didn't. You know, it was 6.0, ranked 107th out of 120, 112 qualifying wide receivers. And I think the thing that's what I remember the most about last season was in the games when Deontay Johnson missed Smith Schuster's target share went down. Like it went from 21% where it was, it was above chase Claypool was behind Deontay Johnson, but it was in the middle, but it went behind both Claypool and James Washington. So I know that Juju was, was dealing with injury at the time too. So it's not just this black and white. Oh, well he sucks compared to those two players, but the fact that he's been a super slot dependent player and the fact that, we could see the Steelers run two more, run more 12 personnel. They actually ran a lot of 12 personnel in the preseason game. They were up to 30%. And they drafted Pat Fryermuth, who they love at training camp. And Eric Ebron's still on the team. So if they're doing two 12 personnel, it's going to be Ebron, Fryermuth, uh, Deontay Johnson, and Chase Claypool on the field. Like there's a chance that Juju's not even playing all the snaps, which is a big problem. And you think about how the Steelers treated the off season. Like they didn't make it a priority to bring him back. So they seemed like they were kind of ready to move on. Like, yeah, we're going 12 personnel with these two tight ends and these two alpha receivers on the outside. But so yeah, this is a lot of red flags about Juju Smith Schuster. And you just like, we're going to, I feel like we're going to get to the end of the season and be like, dude, like, why didn't you just sign with the chiefs, man? Like, like what were you thinking, dude? We did have Juju come out a couple of days ago and say he will be playing outside more in the offense. He wasn't even suiting up for the Hall of Fame game. I'm with you. I'm fingers crossed, hoping, believing it's going to be Deontay Claypool as the two wide receivers. We will need to keep an eye on that, though. I just want to, like, I'm not out on necessarily out on Juju. I want to see the Juju that we saw in the first two years in the league. I just don't understand where that guy went. It's not just Antonio Brown not being there. That hasn't helped. It's a worse offense without AB. I understand that. But Juju, in 2018, he forced eight missed tackles. In 2019, he forced nine missed tackles. He's only forced eight total missed tackles over the past two seasons. I think I meant 2017 and 2018, but his average of four yards after the catch per reception last year, first time he finished under 5.9. Like, Andrew, you're a diehard Patriots fan. You remember in that crazy game when rookie Juju was knifing through the entire Patriots defense, like to get inside the 10 yard line before uh, Jesse James, you know, had the Desrel come back to bite him. Like, what happened to that guy? He just doesn't even look like the same player with the ball in his hands. Now, maybe it is, maybe it's TikTok. Probably more likely it's the injuries because 2019, he had toe, foot, and knee injuries throughout the year. 2020, even though he didn't miss any time, he was regularly on the injury report with a knee issue. You know, credit to him for playing through with the pain. I'm just not sure if we can expect him to look like the guy he was earlier in his career. So, yeah, I think that's a fair uh, possibility. I would just say that, 
maybe Big Ben just throws the piss out of the ball again, and we kind of get a repeat of last year. It could happen again. Last year, as bad as Juju was, he was still the wide receiver 16 in fantasy land. We do not care how guys get the yards. We do not get extra points for style points. So, you know, if we see Big Ben coming out week one, hitting 45 pass attempts and nothing much looking different, no, that's not really going to be good for the Pittsburgh Steelers win-loss record, but it might actually enable three fantasy-relevant wide receivers for the second year in a row. Again, this is one of the more important, uh, I think, offenses to keep an eye on throughout the preseason because we need to see if they're going to be changing as drastically as some think. Andrew, over-under for the Steelers, eight and a half, got a minus 140 lean on the under. Are you buying the idea that we might see Mike Tomlin's first below average Pittsburgh Steelers team. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the under. Yeah. I get that. They've won eight games every year since 2004. So, but it's at eight and a half, so I can still take the under and they can still win eight games. So that's what I'm going to go with because I, I just like the Browns and Ravens more. So again, it doesn't make a lot of sense. At least the way I look at it is I can't take over on Steelers, Ravens, Browns. I'm trying to hit this massive parlay. Uh, I'm going to take the under just because you know, how much does Big Ben have left? I think that is the real question. Again, we see these quarterbacks, you know, look really good. And then they just kind of like fall off a cliff. And Big Ben's already come out and said that he's not going to eat avocado ice cream. So he's not going to be playing until age 45. So that's a concern. But I think Big Ben will be good enough to get keep the offense moving. But I don't know if it's going to those other teams, the Browns and Ravens, I just think are I think they're a tier above. I do, too. The problem, Andrew, they won eight games of Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. Under- See, that's the thing. It's it's like the Mike Tomlin effect. And I kind of like, I fell for this last year with Belichick. It's like, oh, well, Belichick's the coach. Like, he'll just find their way to, like, get them to 10 wins. And that didn't happen. So, I mean, Big Ben being back is a big difference. And obviously, they just had to change their entire quarterback. So, it is a little bit different. But, yeah, I'm going to, again, streaks were made to be broken. So, and technically their streak doesn't end. They, they can still win eight games, but they're hitting the under. There we go. I'm going <laughs> to take the over here only because I don't like the idea of going with minus 140 uh, juice on the under, but it's a good line. I'd probably just stay, uh, stay away from that if you happen to be a betting man or woman like myself. Andrew, we have now previewed all 32 teams, man. Good for us. Hello, yes. August 11th, and now we can focus on the real meat of the offseason that is preseason and full-on fantasy football draft season i hope you all have enjoyed the team preview series we've been making them as evergreen as possible throughout this so you know if you enjoyed this one please feel free to go back and check out the other ones you shouldn't be missing out on a ton of new information or anything like that andrew you are wrapping up your team preview series yourself and i believe you mentioned before this podcast even got some dfs goodness ready for thursday's night preseason slate Oh, I do. I can, so I can drop a nugget right now for those, the loyal listeners that have listened all the way through here. So ESPN reporter, Mike Reese reported on Wednesday that JJ Taylor could see a heavy dose of work in the second half of Thursday night's game for those new to preseason DFS. And for those new to just the game itself and Belichick's running backs, Patriots running backs in preseason are way different than the regular season. They're impossible to figure out during the regular season because he uses a 12 different, 12 different guys. But during the preseason, for some reason, Belichick just feeds some random dude like 16 carries per game. <laughs> in 2019, it was LSU's Nick Brissett. He had 85 carries in the preseason, over 16 carries per game. And it looks like JJ Taylor is going to be that guy. So if you're looking for a running back, Locking JJ Taylor. He's like five foot six, but Belichick doesn't care. He's going to get work. So 
that's the nugget for everybody. AJ Taylor heard it from PFF's own Andrew Erickson first. Yeah, it's, you know, preseason DFS is not full DGEN. If you gamble on preseason, yes, unless you, you know you're beating a line after hearing like someone's uh, pulled out or whatever. If you're gambling on preseason, you're probably a degenerate, which is fine. A lot of my friends are degenerates. I consider myself a bit of one. Preseason DFS, though, you can actually make some money because if you looked at the exposure from last week's Hall of Fame game, like Dak Prescott and Ben Roethlisberger had were in like 5% of lineups. People just don't really put the amount of thought into this like you'll see on a normal slate. So while, you know, what we had the millionaire winning lineup a couple of years ago have like six Bears players in it, you can get really lucky in the regular season, just not knowing shit about what's going on in DFS preseason. I think you have an extra little five, 6% of lineups that are just going to be messed up from people not fully grasping what they're trying to do. So make sure you check out all of Andrew's stuff on PFF.com. I will have my guys article out on PFF.com on Thursday when you read that. And I'm also going through a quick little four part series on the worst case scenarios for every top 12 quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Andrew, we talk about these players all freaking year. They're all professional athletes. They're great. I made like a minute and a half long highlight film of Sam Darnold rushing success, man. We can talk about any player having a chance for success. We don't usually take the same amount of time to talk about where things go wrong. That's what I try to do here in this series. So check that out as well. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.